European supercomputers were hacked by crypto miners. UK electrical power distributor recovers from its cyber attack. A database containing personal data related to the EU parliament is found exposed. Our evil says it's got the celebrity goods, but has yet to show its hand. The US and China move into a new round of trade and security conflict. Justin Harvey shares insights on how companies are adjusting to the new remote working environment and the impacts to their security posture. Our guest is Isan Farohi from Security Compass on compliance issues and catfishing with some pretty implausible impersonations of U.S. Army generals. And now, a word from our sponsor, ExtraHop. Securing modern business with network detection and response. Security and IT teams are under more pressure than ever. Any workforce that can go remote has done so almost overnight. That means more stress on critical systems, more potentially unsecured IoT devices on corporate networks, and an urgent need to see and respond to threats as quickly as possible. ExtraHop helps organizations like Wizards of the Coast detect threats up to 95% faster and respond 60% more efficiently. As Chief Architect and Information Security Officer Dan McDaniel put it, quote, there's no other company that aligns to supporting the DevOps model, the speed and the lack of friction than ExtraHop. See how it works in the full product demo. Free online at extrahop.com cyber. That's extrahop.com cyber. And we thank ExtraHop for sponsoring our show. Funding for this CyberWire podcast is made possible in part by McAfee, security built natively in the cloud for the cloud. To protect the latest, like containers, to empower your change makers, like developers, and to enable business accelerators, like your teams. Cloud security that accelerates business. It's about time. Go to McAfee.com slash time. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, May 18th, 2020. The motivation behind the attacks on European supercomputers, first discovered in an incident at the UK's Archer National Supercomputing Service, is now clearer. The attackers were cryptojacking, ZDNet reports. Archer has been updating its status regularly. Der Spiegel has reported attacks at six facilities in Germany. Last Thursday, the Leibniz Supercomputer Center of the Bavarian Academy of Sciences and Humanities also closed outside access to its systems. TU Dresden took the same action for its Taurus system. On Saturday, Switzerland disclosed a similar incident at CCSC. The European Grid Infrastructure Computer Security Incident Response Team confirmed that the intruders were seeking to use the supercomputers as crypto mining rigs. Alexon, a middleman in the UK's electrical grid, continues to recover from the cyber attack it sustained last week. Industry Week, while noting that the incident did not compromise power distribution, argues that the attack should place infrastructure operators on alert. The European Parliament told Politico Saturday that a database holding information belonging to some 1,200 elected officials and their staff members, along with another 15,000 other accounts of EU affairs professionals, was found exposed to the Internet. The database belonged to the European People's Party, and the system that held it, while operating under the EU's Parliament's europarl.eu domain, wasn't hosted by the Parliament itself. The exposure was discovered by researchers at ShadowMap, 
and EU Today writes that this raises questions about the Parliament's own security. The FBI pointed out that the extortion attempt the R. Evil ransomware gang made against the boutique celebrity law firm Grubman, Shire, Masilis, and Sachs may amount to an act of cyber-terrorism and that paying terrorist ransom can be a violation of federal law. That angered the gang, Forbes reports, and the Hoods released a lot of anodyne and generic emails purporting to be a foretaste of the dirty laundry they have on President Trump. The dump didn't prove that they had much of anything— The emails weren't by President Trump, who's not a client of Grubman, Shire, Masilis, and Sachs, and they appeared to include mere mentions of his name and uses of the verb to Trump. The path of compliance can be a tricky one to walk, with a patchwork of state regulations here in the U.S., California's CCPS, and of course, the reigning global champion, GDPR. Isan Farogi is VP of Products at application security firm Security Compass. To be honest, I see ourselves in an increasingly steep curve of more and more regulations being introduced. Um, the technology landscape is getting more complex, and their regulatory bodies are trying to keep up, alas, a bit behind. But uh, there are new regulations being introduced left and right, and uh, Doers, engineers, uh, the business people are having a bit of a challenge keeping up with all these regulations. And I suppose, I mean, it's fair to say these regulations are are coming from somewhere. There's a hunger for them. People want to have the protections that they provide. But, of course, that provides regulatory burdens on the business owners. It is true. Um, The challenge with that is that uh, everything is getting connected, It's no longer the case that only we are limited to certain software on the internet. Even the power generation systems, industrial control systems, our homes are all being connected to the internet. With connectivity, there are new concerns, there are privacy concerns, there are data protection concerns. And regulatory bodies are trying to do their best uh, to keep up. I know Businesses look at uh, these uh, compliance and regulations as a challenge, but they're also kind of a necessary evil, right? It's hard to um, protect the public interest, in specifically in a competitive landscape where people that can uh, cut corners, can get ahead, could win in the market for a short time before something bad happens to their, their clients and their public. So the regulatory bodies step in, try to put us in, but it also increases the cost uh, for uh, the manufacturers, for the business owners. Where do you come down on, on the notion that we, what we really need here is a federal regulation that will supersede the, one, the ones being made by the states? Well, like in any kind of a, a situation, uh, you start by having some states that are forward-thinking. Take California. They are leading the way into starting a law there, and the federal uh, government will start taking a step behind them. And uh, then it comes down to can they consolidate into a national and international level of a standard? This is where the critical role is on the compliance bodies like uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, to come out with a good compliance standard that is balanced, that keeps the interest of both sides of 
the public side and the business side in mind, something that can take traction. And if the traction is there, I don't think their states would be inclined to have their own version of uh, the compliances um, more and more. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a, you know, it's an investment uh, in in your future. <laughs> you pay me now or pay me later. Yes, it's paying small installments now or pay in a big chunk later on. That's Isan Faroki from Security Compass. The U.S. Commerce Department's announcement late last week that it would extend licensing requirements to semiconductors made abroad but with U.S. technology is clearly aimed at companies on the entity list, notably Huawei and ZTE. The decision will, among other things, affect the company's ability to import chips made in Taiwan by TSMC. It's also been coldly received by Beijing, Reuters and others report. Global Times, a Chinese government news outlet, quotes a source to the effect that China will take forceful countermeasures to protect its own legitimate rights. Qualcomm, Cisco and Apple, and possibly Boeing as well, are among the U.S. companies Beijing suggests will bear the brunt of what Global Times characterizes as a counterattack. They all face placement on an unreliable entity list and close scrutiny under applicable Chinese cybersecurity and anti-monopoly laws. Global Times, to quote them again, blames the U.S. measures for dragging Washington and Beijing into a tech cold war. And finally, who knows more about matters of the heart than the United States Army? No one, friend, that's who. But sorry, ladies, we hate to tell you, it's not General Nakasone flirting with you by email from a U.S. Cyber Command outpost in Syria. As CyberScoop points out, you're being catfished. It's especially poetic that the fish bait that initiated this whole business was chatter about the musical Hamilton, perhaps including an appreciation of the Aaron Burr aria, Love doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes, and we keep loving anyway. Anywho, somehow, this involved well-intentioned social media correspondence with another catfish who claimed to be General Steve Lyons, head of U.S. Transportation Command. The faux general recommended that his correspondent, a woman identified only as Susan, spin the wheel of fortune and reach out to his colleague, U.S. Cyber Command Commanding General Paul Nakasone, who, the catfish said, was deployed to Syria, going on patrols and doing a lot of paperwork. He was a lonely widower in need of companionship. For the record, General Nakasone is not a widower in Syria. He's happily married and busily employed at Fort Meade, Maryland, The paperwork part, okay, but the rest of it? It's just a bunch of hooey. The U.S. Army's Criminal Investigation Command shared a list of red flags with Business Insider, the sorts of things you can take as signs you're looking for love in all the wrong places. So when you get that email from a U.S. Army general, madame, you are to consider a general officer will not be a member of an Internet dating site. That seems right. Soldiers are not charged money or taxes to secure communications or leave. Yep, yep, check. Soldiers do not need permission to get married. Who who knew? We all know now. Deployed soldiers do not find large sums of money and do not need your help to get that money out of the country. Check and double check. One can sense the weariness behind Criminal Investigation Command's words. Look, we get it. The heart has its reasons, which reasons know not. But come on, heart, think for a minute. Susan did. She recognized that the whole thing seemed kind of weird. 
She wasn't in the market for a date in any case. It should be unnecessary to say this, but it's probably not. Neither general had anything to do with this nonsense. It's just some inartistic bozo looking for a quick online score. Now, we're just spitballing here, but we imagine CIC's red flags would be waivable with any other military organization in the world. The People's Liberation Army Navy, the Royal Army Veterinary Corps, the Republican Guard, even, heaven forfend, the United States Space Force. You get the picture. A quick reminder that you can access extended versions of many of our interviews when you subscribe to CyberWire Pro. My interview with author Thomas Ridd, for example, covers a lot of ground we simply didn't have time to include in the daily podcast. You can check that out and find out about all of the benefits of CyberWire Pro at our website, thecyberwire.com. And now, a word from our sponsor, Thycotic. Thycotic protects companies from cyber attacks by developing innovative technologies that secure privileged accounts across the modern enterprise. Thycotic recently partnered with Cybrary to conduct a global survey of IT professionals, focusing on how organizations are implementing least privilege. Their new survey report shows overprivileged users are still a big challenge for IT professionals. The report reveals important insights for anyone planning or already down the path with their own least privilege security program. From the survey, they found that even though least privilege is a top or urgent priority, most organizations struggle with complexity and user complaints when implementing a least privilege security strategy. Go to thycotic.com cyberwire to download the report now and get more details about the survey results, the key takeaways and recommendations for how to ensure success in your least privilege implementation. Again, that's thycotic.com cyberwire to download this special report on the state of least privilege. And we thank Thycotic for sponsoring our show. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Uh, Justin, always great to have you back. I wanted to check in with you on some of the things that you're seeing and tracking when it comes to these adjustments folks have made of working remotely and how that's affecting their security. Yeah, we're seeing all of these enterprises out in the world and not just in North America. They're all pivoting to remote work for their employees. And there is an impact to their cybersecurity posture uh, by them making that move. And we're also seeing more adversaries that are kind of switching their game up and and really uh, for high-profile targets and high-value victims out there in, in enterprises, we're seeing that adversaries are trying to track them down and get to their home machines. And the reason that we're seeing that is that more and more employees are working from home. And not everyone has a laptop. Some of them actually have used their home workstations and they install their VPN client, they install their their email client on there. And essentially what happens is it makes it essentially extends the the surface, the attack surface of the enterprise to cover the home as well. And the net effect of that is that you'll see more and more adversaries or we've seen more and more adversaries that are targeting home users of enterprise uh, employees in order to uh, find an easier soft target, if you will. Now, I was thinking about you and your team because you and I have talked about how 
when you would go and do incident response that you would travel and you guys had, you know, big, you had racks of hardware that you would, you know, flight cases that you would pack up and, and go and, and, you know, descend upon a situation and, and make an order out of chaos. Um, how has that changed given this environment where you can't just drop in on people and uh, <laughs> even things like flights aren't happening? Well, what's lucky for us is that we're we are able to do most of the work that we do remotely. Uh, in cases where we do need to take a physical forensic image of a machine or uh, of a device, then we can leverage the client that we're working with and give them instructions. You need to go down into this cubicle. You need to put this USB drive in and so on. But we still have obligations out there. We do have retainers for some very large institutions. And if something were to go wrong, we we, we may need to send employees uh, on site. But uh, we talked as a global team uh, at the beginning of this pandemic. And many people uh, volunteered to travel or to put themselves in harm's way if it was for a good cause. So um, mm-hmm. if there are any... Uh, interruptions to our supply chain, if there are any uh, attacks versus healthcare and health systems or the systems that are being utilized to develop uh, or deliver life-saving processes, then myself included, we are all uh, volunteering to uh, uh, to show up on site and, uh, and to fight the bad guys. But luckily, we haven't had any of those cases come in uh, that have required us to travel. Have you seen any any shift in the pace of things, either up and down or of things speeding up or slowing down? Absolutely. We are seeing a heck of a lot more ransomware cases out there. Not just your typical, I'm browsing a uh, an email and I click the wrong link and then I have ransomware. That's more of a commodity type operation. It's a, it's a drive-by, if you will. We're seeing less of those, and we're seeing more adversaries that are using advanced techniques to breach the perimeter, establish a beachhead, and then move laterally in order to do a privilege escalation and then deliver their ransomware setup from the ground up to be delivered and kind of custom set up. And uh, we're seeing about a 40% increase since the beginning of this pandemic on on those types of of targeted ransomware attacks. Wow. Wow, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I mean, that's a real number, right? Yeah, it's it, it, the 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 trick here is that many enterprises are not used to having all of their workforce work remotely. And there are a lot of changes that need to happen to a security operations center to think about that remote mindset. Imagine if one day all of your employees were in the office and working and you knew exactly where everything was. And then the next day, none of them are there. They're all out in the wild. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things like you need to focus on uh, privileged access, control points, VPN terminations, and focus on those sort of uh, control points that are not normally used as much. Now they're the main uh, vehicle for employees to get into your enterprise and, and monitoring posture needs to shift as well. Hmm. All right. Well, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed, and it'll help you with your posture. 
Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the CyberWire possible, especially our supporting sponsor, Observit, a Proofpoint company and the leading insider threat management platform. Learn more at Observit.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Haru Prakash, Stefan Viziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. See you back here tomorrow.